Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On this episode, I'm speaking with Namrata Naya Kamdar founder at Planair, a UK-based ethical and sustainable skincare brand that encourages emotional well-being and self-care. We discuss how a challenging personal period and extensive experience in the FMCG space led to the creation of the brand, the power of combining beauty and emotional well-being, why barriers to entry in the DDC space are both a blessing and a curse, the pros and cons of celebrity-backed brands, and what Namrata is most excited about in 2023. In a moment, you're going to be hearing from our sponsor. Ahead of that, I have an ask. If you like the pod, you'd be doing it and me a massive favor by liking, subscribing, but more importantly, telling somebody about it. The more traction this thing gets, the better it becomes. So a big thank you in advance. Before we get into it, this episode is supported by my friends at Recharge. Recharge has helped over 15,000 e-commerce merchants grow and retain their customer base through subscriptions, allowing the brands to grow their business by increasing lifetime value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. If you thought subscriptions were on the decline, listen to this. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. For anyone running an e-commerce store, customer retention has been at the forefront of your mind, and subscriptions are one of the best ways to meet your goals. Create seamless subscription experience for your community and turn one-time shoppers into long-term customers with Recharge. Learn more at rechargepayments.com slash basket. Enjoy the episode. Nemrata, welcome to the pod. Tim. How are you and where are you? Yes, <laughs> I'm great. I, I just ran 7K, wow. so I'm pretty happy today. <laughs> yeah, I just ran 7K. We have a little workspace here in Notting Hill. Lovely. Uh, Notting Hill. I, get, I feel like it's a cliche, isn't it? Like you, you I, I watch that movie, you know, obviously like everyone else in the world. Yeah. And it's like, what is that place like? Yep. And then um, when I moved to London in uh, 2000, oh, this 2007, I think, um, we decided to live in Fulham. Yep. Well, first we were in Kingston mm-hmm. when I worked at Unilever and then we moved to Fulham. Um, but I just always, I don't know why I was always drawn to like Notting Hill, more the Ladbroke Grove side, which is probably the side that's a little bit undiscovered, but I just, I do love the feeling here. It's so, it's not that busy. It's very creative. You always see just so many interesting things and interesting people in this part of the world. And I just, I also find it so amazing for creativity. Like London is such a creative city. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, Fulham's nice, but it's it's become a little bit gentrified for me. Yeah, <laughs> a little it's bit quite too suburban <laughs> as well. I feel Notting Hill yeah, is just a little bit Valley. more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. exactly. So, so I feel like you can mix it up more in Ladbroke Grove or this part of the world. It's nice. And so uh, I like coming into Notting Hill. I have my little workspace here. Nice. And then, yeah, I'm based in Fulham. Lovely. Um, you mentioned it ever so briefly there, but I, I usually like to take a little bit of a rewind just to give the listeners a bit of context. And you spent some time at some of those big consumer uh, companies. Um, I'm curious then, like, what was it like? But more importantly, what led you to sort of break away from the corporate world and start your own thing? Was there a defining moment or period? Was there a light bulb moment? Or was it a more of a, a slower transition? So look, I think like... 
my experience in the corporate world is probably pretty representative of a lot of people out there. I think, you know, when, you know, I'm 46, I graduated in 02 from business school. Um, very much the model at that time was like, okay, you know, go get a corporate job, do this, do this corner office. That's like your career path, your career track. You don't really think about it too much, you know, being raised by boomers, you know, I'm Gen X being raised by boomers. They, it's it's all like that's the thing like that's what you do you know what whatever and um you don't really question it you think about stability and like ticking all these boxes and so i i have to say i really did enjoy my time in the corporate world but i just did realize very dramatically actually you know what happened to me i i feel i experienced it very dramatically but and traumatically actually but i just i i kind of figured out it just wasn't for me. I almost had a splitting of self where you, you go along for 20 years and you're thinking, okay, this is the track that I'm on. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then like somehow, boom, you're just, you're just interrupted in that, in that trajectory. And you kind of have like almost like a come to Jesus moment where you're like, no, this is not make, actually, this is not making me happy. This is not what I want to do. I obviously, I, in, in my case, I had like physical symptoms around you know, leading me to understand myself better and to say like, this is really not what I'm, this is not the reason I'm here. <laughs> I think I felt that really clearly. Like my, I want to say when I turned 39, I was like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm on this path, but this is not the right path. There's another, there's another path. Like it's, it's weirdly spiritual, but um, yeah, lots of things happened leading up to that. But uh, you know, the short and long of it was when my son was born, I had postnatal depression. I wasn't very well. And I think that was kind of almost the trigger for so many things. Like, I think a lot of people say this when you become a mom for the first time, or maybe in my case, for the second time, you kind of have a, a bit of an upheaval. And that was definitely the case for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I really did value my time working in those companies, but I did feel when I came back from my second maternity leave, I felt in some senses it was stunting me, stunting my thinking, <laughs> stunting my growth, kind of almost tamping down on what I wanted to be as a human being. And so the physical manifestation of that was then just unhappiness, depression, anxiety, like the typical feelings you might feel when you have um, mental, mental health mm -hmm, issues mm -hmm. or you have some kind of mental health crisis. Sure. But it's one of the best things that ever happened to me, I have to say, because not only did I get through that, that part of life and come onto the other side to do some, something that's making me really happy, I also like learned really great tools along the way to manage your mind. Totally. You know, your mind is, yeah, it's so strong, your mind. And your mind has the ability to, it's transformational. It, your thinking has the ability to, transform you and transform your circumstances and i really didn't understand how important your thoughts and your mind and all of these these tools that you know i learned in in that time around the power of positive thinking mm -hmm. you know manifestation mm -hmm. positive 
um, affirmations. And I, I don't want to sound like cheesy, crazy, you know, but I think <laughs> you could sound, you can sound, they really have helped. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I totally agree. Well, it, it sounds like it's, it, yeah. and I'm, I'm curious then. So was it that you were, and I'm really sorry that you went through that, that traumatic period, but it sounds like you came out you. on the back of it with these, like this new tool set, you know, mental tool set. And was it that you wanted just to do something different just, and it didn't matter what it was, what, what was it about and we'll get on to like for the uninitiated what plein air is, but like, was it plein air or was it something that turned into plein air? You know, how did that kind of transition happen from yeah, that of period through so the, at that, yeah. yeah. So at that time, like I actually worked in, in, in brand development at, at these companies, which is all about, you know, it's much more about understanding consumer insights and then really taking that research of those consumer insights and then translating that into a business proposition. And obviously, prior to a lot of those roles, I had been working in, in you know, product development and brand development, but at the country level. When I moved to Unilever here in, um, in the global headquarters in the United Kingdom, it was really looking at it at a very, you know, like broad level, like looking at consumer insights for like a category, like body wash mm-hmm. or face care mm-hmm. and, and really, using that information to roll out these big product mixes for Unilever across multiple markets and multiple countries. So I had had a lot of experience in doing that, getting products down a high speed line, you know, launching in 30, 40, 50 markets at a time and really understanding the consumer from a very strategic lens to be able to deliver product propositions. So, um, I mean, I really enjoyed that, but uh, I felt like I had done it Mm -hmm. for quite a while And for 10 years after I, like I left, I had been thinking about starting my own company and I didn't know really like, I didn't know like what it was going to be. I knew what I was going to be like more like face care or, you know, I had only worked on female centered brands my whole career. I worked, you know, I started my career in, well, first I worked for beverage companies, which is a completely different story. And uh, yeah, it was, it's kind of crazy to think about how I, like I worked at Coca-Cola and Atlanta and their headquarters and I worked at PepsiCo and their snacks food division, which is so different. But then when I started working for Unilever, it was really fortunate at the bottom of the pyramid. I worked in India. Um, We, I worked in rural markets that didn't have access to water. They didn't, you know, like a lot of the, the consumers we were talking to literally could not afford to just, could just about afford to like wash their hair once a week, Mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was really just understand, like it was fortunate at the bottom of the pyramid, like understanding how to build these mixes for marketing mixes for developing and emerging consumers. So I worked in feminine care, which is, you know, very focused on, on young girls, you know, so we'd go into homes, rural homes in India, and there would be these girls who, you know, maybe there wasn't, they didn't even have a floor. There was like a dirt floor and they would be talking about, oh, well, this is the nail polish I'm going to buy. And this is, you know, the fairness cream, like fairness cream is like a huge controversial market in India, but they wouldn't be buying, you know, feminine protection, and then they would have school days missed because of that. And so our job as a company was really to go in and talk to them about what the importance of feminine hygiene was, what the important events, you know, like, what is the role of menstrual health, raise awareness with young women, and really develop these, you know, sort of educational campaigns to push health and wellness with young girls. And I can think that kind of set the foundation, because from a Unilever perspective, they're all about sustainability and, and social mission across all of their all of their different brands. So I worked on that. Then I worked on makeup and fashion and hair care in India. 
um, which was really exciting on a local jewel called Black Mates, India's largest beauty brand. And then I worked on comfort fabric conditioner, which is very much a category that mums adopt when when they become pregnant for the first time. So um, we, you know, the you know the, the the brand comfort went from half a you know half a billion to a billion in the time that I was that we were working on it, and that was purely just by putting these products into um, new markets or white spaces, as we called them. And then I worked on Dove and I launched Baby Care for Dove, which was very, very exciting. So I'd worked on all these little, to come back to your question, I've worked on all these little brands. Well, not little, huge brands, but <laughs> yeah. in all these different, <laughs> all these different areas. And then um, when I left, you know, they were, I actually went to go work on a Finnish brand um, that was, it, you know, in, in, in Helsinki that was backed by Unilever Ventures. That was a smaller brand mm -hmm. and it was bought by Ventures to be able to sell. And that was really interesting as well, just to see how entrepreneurial, I guess, not an entrepreneur residence, but it's kind of like a more entrepreneurial environment yeah. because the brand had been bought by Unilever Ventures to sell on. And that was really interesting. So I had all these different data points coming at me from, you know, clean beauty to, you know, digital transformation, like what was happening in 2012, 2013, 2014, like this is even like pre Shopify, pre Instagram, like how are people buying and how are these big companies? Like, right. If you think about it, I worked in these big companies. They only had one way of doing things, which was literally selling into Tesco or yeah. selling into Waitrose yep. and that's their way of doing it. And then there was this like huge disintermediation in 2012 where all of these different brands were coming into the environment. And then these companies were also struggling to really deal with that. So they just didn't have, and I think I, I still think it's, it's limited in terms of their ability to, to just their ability to have the, the talent and the teams to really tap into those sectors. It's, it's much harder for bigger companies yeah, to do that. They're totally. trying, um, but their model is so compromised as in, you know, you sell in something to Tesco that costs two or three pounds. Like that doesn't even, the economies of scale and the efficiencies, you wouldn't be able to build an online business off of the back of that. So they were really struggling. So it was a lot of different factors that came together that were coming at me that kind of gave me this idea to, to, to start my company. And, um, and I, I was sure I wanted to focus on younger consumers. Got it. Because that to me felt like, not like a low hanging fruit, but it felt like it was something where, they were open to not just buying something from a store. Yeah. Like, you know, and then ironically, <laughs> we on, you know, when we launched, we were able to get into really great stores. But I here I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that'll take us years to get cracked. one <laughs> store. We'll never get into a store. Better to go online. And of course, you know, online is so expensive now. It's like the opposite. People yeah, totally. Buying awareness yeah, yeah, through yeah. store, through physical yeah. location. So yeah. it's been a whole 360, like a whole loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must be fascinating seeing. And it's such a rich tapestry of, of experience that you've got. And, and it is very interesting that you say, because it does feel like that, that, and I suppose there's a COVID element to it, like IRL, everything has sort of been thrust back into the sort of zeitgeist or vernacular and therefore wholesale, retail, seems to be more prevalent. But just to go back a step then, so all of that rich tapestry of experience and it feels like you were being, there's this natural gravitation towards where you are now. But for the uninitiated, what is plein air? So plein air is, well, at the heart of it, at the, the core rational premise of plein air is face cleansing and care for people at the beginning of their skincare journey. and 
you know, like I said, I wanted to focus on a younger customer because I think they were more aware of what goes into their bodies, their hair, their mind. Like they're so aware compared to a, like a, say an older customer who's like maybe buying an Estee Lauder or maybe Mm -hmm. going into the regular traditional stores. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really open to experimentation and buying something off somebody's Instagram feed or if somebody, you know, like reading reviews or Reddit threads and things like that. So Planair is at the heart of, of the, the rational proposition. It is a skincare brand, face care first. You know, we want to develop expertise in face care. I think at the more emotional level, it is all about um, connecting beauty and emotional well-being. And that's very deliberate because, you know, my own experience with my own mental health issues, but then it wasn't just that. I mean, of course, I had, you know, a, a year or two years where I took time off with, you know, works, work-related burnout is, is, is kind of what it was, but it was a bunch of different things. And then I went back into the working world and so many things had changed, you know, like this was like 2014, 2015. And when I left that, that next role that I did, I, I decided that I was going to, you know, do something within face care because I, I really felt, you know, strongly about it. I had a lot of expertise in that area. I had worked in that across multiple different brands. But I also saw that there was a gap, like people were not talking in a certain way that we wanted to talk, you know, in that, in, in a completely different way. Like we wanted to talk in a way that was different from legacy brands, legacy consumer brands. And that was the opportunity. Um, and then when we went on to go and do, we did ethnographies and we did a ton of social listening mm-hmm. and we talked to girls um, born after the year 2000. We talked to them alone. We talked to them with their moms. We, we, followed them around. We went to their, you know, stores, different stores with them. We did discovery journeys with them. And the, the, the thing that struck me the most about those conversations was how much focus there was on appearance, mm. comparison, and like for these girls, like this digital veil that they were under, you know, so they were being told buy this product to look this way or buy this product to fix this problem. And I was looking at that and going, well, what if a brand maybe talked in a different way mm. and didn't patronize girls and to say, you know, okay, you have to look like this to get a job, get a man, get whatever in the future, or didn't tell them they were a problem to be solved because they're not mm-hmm. and talk to them in a way that felt more holistic, uh, felt like you were investing in yourself through your skincare. And I think, you know, those sorts of category tropes and and that way of speaking is is really mainstream now but it wasn't at the time it wasn't like four or five years ago nobody was talking about investing in yourself through your skincare or you know my thinking was could skincare be like this ritual to build a narrative with yourself to discover yourself in a different way to really get to know yourself and appreciate yourself and value yourself not not in a way that's you know literal but the philosophy behind the brand is all around um, being able to get to, se- to know yourself better and value yourself and, and your own sort of narrative about yourself through the simple act of cleansing your face. You know, we make so much of these simple rituals and a lot of the time people are doing them on autopilot. But I think there's definitely something there that can be more engaging for young women and men. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated by some of the research and what you got out of that. That 
uh, what struck me most about what you've just said is that digital veil that we all have. <laughs> but certainly at, at that generation that you were interviewing and is obviously your core customer, it's even, even more relevant. So I, I'm curious though, so my general sense is that your journey is not dissimilar to others in the space and that the beauty space is got quite a lot of competition. It feels it's, it's kind of crowded. How do you think about that? <laughs> and like, how do you navigate it? My, my sense is that the mission that you just described is a very clear differentiator. Does that resonate with consumers? You know, how are you differentiating yourselves? How do you think about competition? I think, yeah, we're at a time where the barriers to entry to creating, like we just said, like a podcast, creating yeah. a brand proposition, you know, the barriers to entry in any of these segments has really come down, which is great in some ways and not so great in other ways. So it's great because if you have a genuinely interesting idea and you can execute behind that idea in a really great way, I mean, some of my favorite brands, you know, I walk around thinking about it are, you know, founder owned, like, somebody thought it through and, and did it. It wasn't like it was like this big corporate idea or it's been around for a hundred years, you know? So I think it's amazing that people have the opportunity to just think of an idea mm -hmm. and be able to commercialize it quickly with all the technology, all the sort of tools we have at our disposal, the Shopify, the stripes, the, the ability. So the barriers to entry have come down where, where it's not so great is there's no, sometimes it feels like there's no quality filter. <laughs> It's like any, like anyone and everyone can have, like my friend says, and I always quote her, she's like, having a skincare brand is like having a Gucci handbag. Like everyone has, <laughs> she's always like joking with me. And it's like, it is kind of true. Like anybody and everybody has a brand today, which is kind of sad because I think, you know, the amount of work and, and the amount of thinking that it takes to create an iconic, beautiful brand, like it's, it's really hard work. And for somebody just to treat it like, hey, I'll just open a brand today and I'll just throw it again. You know, like there's a lot of that, like it's a very cluttered space. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure everybody has the same intentions in terms of creating a compelling proposition that people buy and reach for again and again. They're just trying to <clears throat> make some money. Or and I'm not and I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not a not for profit. We obviously yeah, want to be commercially successful. But there needs to be like a real need. There needs to be a compelling consumer insight. There needs to be you know really good solid thinking around every aspect of the brand. Um, otherwise, you're just creating more waste and more noise in the environment. I mean, if everybody has a skincare brand, including Brad Pitt. Like, does anybody need that many skincare? Does like, does anyone need more product in their life? Does anyone need more celebrities and more people launching skincare brands when they may or may not have a point of view on the category or know anything about the category or have any real intent to make a positive difference? Like from my perspective and my, you know, my background is brands have to be a force for positive change yep. and social shift. That's very much the proposition behind our brand. That's very much where I come from. Um, and, you know, other people may have different roots into the problem, but that's really, really central and important to me. Yeah, I think. So you, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, no, no, it did. I thought it was a super interesting insight. I feel, I feel the plein air has got, and, you know, it's obvious to me in terms of 
uh, an outsider looking at the brand, but now talking to you, there's a, there's more intellectual weight behind the brand, which I think is really interesting. And I would like to think, unlike the Brad Pitt skin case of the world, and not to be disparaging against. Oh, and by the way, the I, wish, I do wish it. him well. I, I, me too. Me too. I think he's. Yeah, I, I wish him all the best in that. <laughs> but but I, I love Brad Pitt. <laughs> me too. Me too. But I, I would like to think that over the long run, the planaires of the world win. That would be, I would like to think that. And I, I think that they they do. I think because of that intellectual weight and that real, I mean, you've come at this from uh, every different angle, right? Like there, there's a whole bunch of uh, inertia behind you, which I think is really interesting. Whereas I feel that, yeah, uh, the kind of celebrity endorsement, it's just a brand sitting on top of a bunch of other products, right? And they just spin them out, you know, like, which oh. I get it sells, but uh, I would like to think over the long run, the planners of the world win. That, that's my general take. Um, I mean, I, I, I really hope so. I think with just, just the last thing I'll say on celebrity is that I think when it's a celebrity, like I'll give you two really, a really good example that has inbuilt equity in the category. So, a Kylie lip kit, Kylie and her focus on cosmetics. And she really had a point of view on the category, which is why the lip kit was virally successful. And it was bought by Cody for billions. And she did a great job with that. Now her going into skincare or something else, it may not work. Why? Because she has built up equity in that area. You know, Kim Kardashian with skims, who else would you ask for advice about body shape? Think about it. It's a great brand stretch for her. Yeah. Rihanna with Fenty. I mean, these are great brand stretches for that personality and that and that, you know, person. There are some things where you're looking at it and going, this person has never talked about skincare. This person has yes. no positive feeling <laughs> yeah. towards the category. This, if, if Brad Pitt had been talking about skincare for 15 or 20 years yeah. and then he did it, it would make total sense. Yeah. But like, that's what I'm saying. It's like to for somebody to come in and think people are that stupid. And that, you know, naive, gullible, that's what gets me. And, you know, that's the last thing I'll say about that. But I think, you know, there are examples where the equity swap, the equity built up in the person and the equity in the product is a perfect match and it works, yeah. you know. And, you know, there are examples of completely anonymous situations like Spanx, you know, who, you know, people think of great products, they have great ideas or plein air and they go on to be enduring, great, successful companies and brands. but. You have to have something. It can't just be, hey, I just thought I'll go into skincare today. I totally agree. <laughs> you know? I totally agree. Yeah. So you, you've been doing this for over half a decade, I believe. Uh, what has surprised you most in that time? I mean, I think the market has just the speed of change, how, you know, demanding customers are like, that's the, the most unanticipated and exciting aspect of it is that the amount of change that we've seen, like as a marketeer sitting here, the amount of change that I would have seen in the first 20 years of my career versus just like the last three to five years is so incredible. Like, and technology has enabled that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're sitting here having a podcast in two different, completely different locations. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Um, connecting on technology and platforms that weren't even available, you know, like five, 10 years ago. That's what's been so interesting. And I do think like people who keep up with those changes and find a way to navigate the changes around their brand are the ones that come out on top. Like, you know, we're talking about before, like the big 
FMCG companies and, and it's really hard for them. They're like big giant elephants. And how do they, how do they even mobilize people to, to get them to start thinking differently, to start adapting to changes quickly, to being more nimble, mm-hmm. you know, where, where someone with just an eBay store or a Shopify store could just be coming in and, and, and taking their lunch. I mean, that's shocking to me. Like if I, if you'd asked me like in O2, when I graduated from my MBA, like, is that going to happen? Like there's going to be these unicorns that are just going to eat the lunch of all these big, I'd be like, no, that's not I know, happen. right? It's crazy. But, <laughs> but it's, it's so cool. And it's so, and that's why I think being in a startup and being in, you know, something like the beauty industry that has really, really the disintermediation is incredible. Uh, feels like such a great opportunity because you have the ability to learn new skills. And I'll say that again, like, I really think that what I've learned in the last five years running my own company, I never would have learned in the corporate world because you don't learn new skills. The way that the corporate journey works is you may not be learning new skills. You're actually climbing to the top of the mountain and then delegating to people to learn new skills on your behalf, which if you're a certain kind of person, that's great. Like you want to you're, you're, you're a political genius. And, you know, your whole thing is your energy comes from, you know, um, doing that delegating and, and being an effective delegator. But for me, just, it was like being in a lukewarm bath. And I, you know, it's such an interesting time in beauty. It's such an interesting time in technology. And the, the you know, the way that everything is that I knew before is being disrupted. It's just a much more interesting place to be and so that has shocked me obviously as from a marketing standpoint just the pace of change and how consumer demands have changed and every time you think you have got under the skin of one channel <laughs> there's a new one cropping up it's like that game what's that Whack-a-mole. game where you like <laughs> yeah exactly it's like whoa <laughs> interesting um but it's cool I, I love it i wouldn't do anything else you know and to take a sort of a slightly forward looking lens um i know we haven't got I mean, fuck, we're already in April. It feels like this year is just hurtling towards December, (laughs) isn't it? It's crazy. But, you know, that aside, what are you most excited about for the rest of the year? And what are you most concerned about? I mean, I think, you know, what we're most excited about is is continuing the journey. You know, we we would like to... um, you know, raise more capital to be able to, 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 to support the growth of the brand. It's been, you know, a a difficult time, like coming out of COVID. I think, like you said, there was real opportunities there to learn new skills. And I would not go back and change that because I think we really, that helped us kind of future proof ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like if we're ever in a situation, yeah, right. you know, like it, it's really, <laughs> that's a black swan it's really event. important to learn from it. <laughs> that is a black swan event. Yeah. And it's, it's actually helped us evolve, you know, as well to, to get, to, I mean, people, tar- our target audience has, has changed so much. You know, there's an, uh, a much older customer who's so comfortable with technology now. Like I think, you know, it's, it's been something that I wouldn't undo. But it's also then led to a lot of economic and political changes mm-hmm. in the European environment, yep. you know, fragile supply chains, hyperinflation, mm-hmm. political instability, mm-hmm. just the cost of living crisis in the UK at the very macro level mm-hmm. is affecting people. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, there was a time where people were like, oh yeah, the latest best, do this, do that, buy this. And now it's like, who really has, has the money or the ability to, to do that? People are really watching their pennies. So totally. it's, you know, we want to be sympathetic to that and stay relevant to our customer in good times and in bad, you know, like that's, so we have to evolve as a brand and, and to do that. So, you know, for us next year is really about consolidation. It's about continuing to, um, we're very omni-channel. We're much more focused on, you know, traditional distribution as a company. Um, and I think that's, kind of helped us grow organically in a sense like we haven't had huge huge marketing budgets but we're still because of the work that we've done with wholesalers we are able to kind of canvas a lot of awareness and support in the beauty industries particularly in western europe um so you know we want to continue to to do that but equally we want to really really up our digital game you know um continue to work with amazing partners and influencers and content creators and ugc and in a way that feels sustainable, try and fuel that growth. Uh, but it's it's not easy and it's getting harder because of the, the fact some of the factors we've already talked about, just the number of, of brands and, and, and proliferation. So I guess that's what I'm kind of excited about, but also, you know, in the background, I'm very cautious about all of these other economic changes that are happening in the, in the broader environment and what that's, what that's going to, going to bring and what that's going to mean for all these high growth companies, you know, in our sector. Totally. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting concept you say in the sense that it felt like, it felt like to some degree we're in a boxing match, right? So we've had round one, which was COVID. We're now in round two, which is this weird two stage sort of economy in some ways things are going really well and then in others at a macro level they're not you know it's kind of this very weird world i I would wager that if everyone who runs something can get out of this next round unscathed then ideally they've yeah had two black swan events and they can tackle anything going forward and hopefully things will be slightly better um i want to round it out with the final question what would you be doing if you weren't running plein air Wow, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I like I, I've thought about this question like quite a lot. Like, what after plenaire? What, what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? And, um, you know, I'm very passionate about um, education. I'm very passionate about young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I want to work. Uh, you know, I, I guess it, I, you know, I get it more from my parents. My parents are both you know, philanthropists and they've, they've given, I've seen them give back their whole life. You know, um, my mom's, you know, she's retired, but she still runs an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently started working with the Anna Freud foundation here in, in London, which is one of the UK's largest mental health charities. They do a lot of amazing, um, you know, evidence-based clinical work around mental health. And, um, y- you know, they have an amazing footprint uh, with so many grassroots organizations. So I think, you know, if somebody asked me, like, what am I doing? Al- what do I want to do alongside Planair? What do I want to do instead of Planair? I think it would be something in the area of education and philanthropy, because that's something that just comes back again and again. And it's like a, it's like a returning theme in, in a lot of the work that I do. And I think what really motivates me as a founder is this idea that, you know, when it all just falls apart, it's not just about making that next sale. It's not just about 
giving somebody skincare or lipstick that's going to make them feel good in the moment. It is about being part of something that is going to be transformational or change something or better something for people who are, you know, struggling Mm. in whatever way that they're struggling. And I think, you know, if you've been through a mental health crisis or you've been in a situation where you've struggled with your mental health, what that does is it gives you an incredible, and I I wouldn't, you know, um, I wouldn't undo that at all. Again, I think it gives you a lot of compassion for other people in whatever way, you know, Um, people that are less fortunate than you, people who are also going through, it just gives you, it kind of deepens your understanding of why you're here. And I think if you haven't been through a struggle, if kind of everything's gone your way, I think I do feel sad, sad if that's the case for someone, because I think it really broadens your growth to do that. So I think in that time and in, in the second sort of phase of, of, of my career, it has been very much focused less on learning for myself and growing as, as, as a person. But now it's much more about, well, what can I do in what I've learned mm-hmm. to make things better, make society better, make, I don't know, from a humanity standpoint. So I think it would definitely be something around philanthropy or education and building a platform for people who, who are going through or are struggling. That's a very noble answer, probably the most noble answer I've received on this book. <laughs> and I think a good way to end it, Amrata, thank you so much for joining me. That was amazing. Thank you so much for hosting me, Tim. It was absolutely my pleasure to talk to you today. There you go, folks. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we go, a quick word from my sponsor, Recharge, the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants launch and scale subscription offerings. Discover how your business can harness the power of recurring revenue and seamless subscription commerce at rechargepayments.com slash basket. Before we go, if you like the pod, please like, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.